Web Services. Welcome to the Cloud and Out podcast. We are your hosts, Andreas and Michael Wittig. And this podcast is about building on AWS. You can follow our journey uh, of bootstrapping Marbot and BucketAV, two products that we sell on the AWS Marketplace. And this is episode number 76, and we are recording this on April 26th in 2023. In case you're watching this live on YouTube or LinkedIn, feel free to ask your questions in the chat. Otherwise, um, just uh, write a comment or send us an email, um, uh, and we will pick up your question in the next show. So all the details uh, to reach out to us are in the um, description below the video as well. So, Andreas, um, what are we going to talk about today? Yeah, so Michael, so we have, first of all, we have a big announcement. So we talked about a new product that we are both building in the past few episodes, I think. So finally, we have released that product. Um, uh, I think it was two weeks ago already, Michael. <laughs> so um, the pro product is Bucket AV powered by Sophos. Uh, so this is what we have been working on. We have it's finally out, and the first customers have already subscribed to it. We're getting feedback from them already, so we are really happy um, with that. And um, in this episode, we will talk about basically what we have learned while building this new product. And maybe, maybe Michael, do you want to kick off this with a short history about Bucket AV? Yeah. Yes, I will. And Andreas, before I start, just let me quickly introduce what BucketDB actually is, right? Um, so far, um, maybe not everyone is aware of. So what it is, is um, uh, described in, in a couple of words, is it's an antivirus or anti-malware solution for Amazon S3. So when you upload a new file to S3, it scans it. Uh, you can also scan the files at regular intervals, like a full scan, and there are a couple of other options uh, how you can scan your files. So that's what it is, uh, antivirus for S3, um, that's it. Um, 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 and we started this little project with exactly this kind of feature set in 2015 as an open source project. And I can actually not really remember, but I think we built that for a client actually. Um, so, and then we, we put it out in the open. And in 2019, uh, we realized that we might could uh, turn this into a product that we uh, can um, sell to clients that are interested in like support and all the other commercial features. So we added um, Bucket AV powered by Claim AV, so that's the other engine that we support, uh, to the AWS Marketplace in 2019. And now this year, 2023, we uh, released uh, BucketDB powered by Sophos. So basically we replaced the ClaimAV engine with the Sophos engine, which is a commercial engine uh, compared to ClaimAV, which is an open source engine. Um, and this actually sounds easy, right? And we thought that more or less uh, in the same way. So, okay, we just switch out the engine and that's kind of it. Um, so we will talk about uh, the pitfalls uh, in the next, in the next uh, kind of minutes or half an hour. So um, we actually discovered a couple of, of things that are, are of interest. Um, one uh, last thing around the history is that today we serve more than 1,000 customers um, that are actively using BucketAV in their AWS accounts. Um, so we, we um, yeah, support the product, we uh, maintain the product, we also create new features for the product. Uh, so this is one of our two core products that we sell on the AWS marketplace. So. Andreas, let's get started. Uh, what actually, or what are the challenges 
uh, that we uh, kind of uh, discovered while 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 working on this uh, new new product. Yeah, yeah, Michael. So so basically, we thought about so okay, what so bucket AV powered by Clam AV was around for quite some time, as you as you described, and some of our customers asked us about other anti-malware engines. So for example, softwares or other other providers. And uh, we postponed this and we had that in the backlog for a while. Then we thought, okay, let's let's do it now. So so we, we got a contract to resell uh, softwares. And then uh, I thought, okay, implementing that shouldn't be too hard, right? Because basically all we do is we replace Clam AV. And instead of telling Clam AV to scan an, an object, we tell um, softwares to scan the object. And all everything around that, basically what we do with Bucket AV, so I don't know, downloading the files, setting up the AWS infrastructure, all of that could more, more or less stay the same. Um, but it turns out that, um, um, yeah, Clam AV and softwares are a little different and we, we run into some issues there. So I think one of the biggest difference, uh, so besides that, those are two different um, yeah, ways to scan for malware. So softwares is a yeah, professional um, provider for that and ClamAV is an open source version. I think the other big difference from a technical point of view besides the scan engine itself is that software scans files without a file size limitation while ClamAV always had that limitation of uh, 4.2 gigabyte. Um, so you cannot scan files that are larger than that um, with ClamAV, but with Shuffles, you don't have any limit. So basically we can now, in theory, scan files with five terabyte because that's the maximum file size in S3. So that's, I would say, the, the, the biggest differences uh, between those two. And uh, the things we run into, <laughs> so, m m most of them uh, come from that um, difference. And the first thing um, we had to implement is um, that uh, uh, anti-malware solutions need a database, uh, basically with the information about all the malware out there. So they have their own database formats, and you basically need to synchronize that because you need to make sure that every EC2 instance that runs Bucket AV has the latest um, malware database available to scan uh, the objects. And uh, so we had to implement that, and we have had a solution for that before. So basically, our idea was to use S3 buckets um, to distribute the data and to have one bucket in each region that we sell bucket AV in so that our clients then can just download that directly from S3 within the same region. Um, the, the big benefit of that is that as long as the traffic stays within the same region, you're not paying for the traffic when it comes to fetching data from S3. All you pay is the get requests. So it's relatively cheap, cheaper than, for example, having a CloudFront distribution somewhere and distributed globally. Uh, if you do that, you have to pay for the traffic uh, or other options. So having uh, three buckets in each region and then replicate the data into all of these buckets is in our scenario the, the cheapest option to, to get that up and running and of course you then have the problem with you need to synchronize the data <laughs> to all those buckets um, so in our case we need to fetch the data and then make sure we copy it uh, to all the s3 buckets in every region and uh, michael i think this is something that uh, you uh, implemented some time ago but basically what we're using is an easy two instance that downloads the data and then uploads it to s3 and I think the, the kind of clever solution is that we're using Systems Manager to run that job periodically on the machine. 
Uh, so this allows us to have monitoring in place uh, in case those jobs fail. We get notified via uh, Marbot um, about that. And uh, I think that's a very uh, clever solution. Um, you might ask why not using a three replication instead of having an EC2 that copies the data to 20, I don't know how many buckets in all those regions. Um, the answer is um, that when you use S3 replication, you do not have control over the order in which the data gets replicated. Uh, but that is uh, important in our um, scenario. And the other downside of S3 replication, at least if you want to have guaranteed and short replication lags, is that you pay uh, quite a premium uh, for that uh, feature as well. So that are basically the two reasons why we are uh, running that on our own EC2 machine. Yeah, so that's uh, that learning, Michael. I think um, that's a valid um, yeah, scenario to, to make data available yeah. worldwide. And there's maybe one thing to add, Andreas, because uh, I just like today I, I got an, a budget alert um, for this AWS account that mm -hmm. hosts the, uh, the Sophos Mirror. And it, it is actually, I mean, this is not necessarily surprising, but um, if you... Well, we pay quite uh, some money for cross-region traffic now because we, from from our Ireland, this is our main region. We we copy the the, the data to all the buckets in all the other regions, so we pay for the cross-region traffic between the regions, mm -hmm. and and this adds up. In our case, uh, so we we are paying uh, money to AWS for for doing that. Um, so uh, that that is something that you have to keep in mind. Um, when you implement something like this, uh, that you are, you are charged for this traffic, right? I mean, that's the reason why we put a bucket in each region because we don't want to be charged for that later mm. on uh, when our customers download the files. But uh, for us to push them into the buckets, we have to pay the fee, um, which is okay. Um, but uh, there's just one thing that I want to mention. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So um, this was one uh, uh, challenge, Andreas, and, and I was running into uh, another challenge. Uh, as you already mentioned, uh, we can now um, download files up to five terabytes in size. So this is the S3 limit, and it is actually quite funny side note here. So what is actually the limit, right? I mean, AWS is not quite uh, certain about that. So in the documentation, they sometimes tell us it's five terabytes. So uh, sometimes they tell us it's uh, five tera. Uh, how is it called? I don't know how TIPS or TIBs. And this is quite a difference in bytes. Um, so they are not 100% certain about that. Uh, turns out that uh, they use a very interesting uh, definition of, of, of a gigabyte, um, which is not what they use in all the other products. Um, so in all the other products, if you, for example, uh, pay for storage for EBS volumes or uh, for uh, also memory on EC2 instances, it is and they are using this uh, notation where they use this 124, 1024 bytes uh, is one megabyte or MIP and one megabyte actually. And then um, the, this goes on and so on and so on. But for S3, they use a different definition <laughs> because uh, they mix things up a little bit there. So they, they, they on, their, on their documentation or in the FAQ, they say it's a gigabyte, but it's actually not a gigabyte. Uh, it's a, a GIP, um, and this is a little bit confusing, um, but uh, it's just a side note. Uh, I opened a support ticket, and, and they, uh, of course, promised to improve the situation, but uh, um, yeah, um, let's see if that happens. Um, so the, the thing that I actually want to talk about, uh, sorry for that, is that when you try to download a 5 terabyte file from S3, uh, things get a little bit tricky, um, because uh, our first implementation that we had in place 
uh, was kind of implemented on the assumption that the maximum file size that we can scan is around four gigabytes. Uh, so we we didn't have a lot of optimization in place there. But now with five terabytes, it 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 matters uh, because uh, if you download using the AWS Node.js SDK, it it is actually you will never finish a five terabyte file. It will take days. Uh, to download it um, because the way the SDK is implemented is that it only downloads basically one uh, part uh, at a time. Um, what you can do with S3 is you can have multi-part uploads so this speeds up the way you upload large files and you can use the same mechanism for downloading so you can have multi-part downloads. So basically what you say is you can tell S3 to either give me part number X of this large file or you can tell S3, give me this byte range of the file. And then you have multiple um, HTTP requests in parallel to kind of uh, try to maximize the network utilization. Because if you download just a single part from S3, it will be uh, not utilizing your 10 gigabits or even 50 gigabits network connection from uh, the EC2 instance. So it's, it's much lower than that. Um, so what I was looking for is a, a, something, a library to implement that, so multi-part downloading. And it turns out in Node.js it's not really available. So there's nothing from AWS in the SDK. It's just not supported. They just support the multi-part upload. If you look into other SDKs, for example, the Java one, uh, you will see this implemented. Uh, so they have that. You have the transfer manager in the Java SDK. Um, so this is kind of lacking in the uh, Node SDK. Uh, I also looked for like third-party libraries. Uh, turns out there's one from AWS Labs that is six or seven years old. Uh, so, um, I mean, we cannot use something that is not maintained since seven years. There's uh, some other projects on NPM that are also kind of the same problem. They are not maintained anymore. So we started our own project, Andreas, um, S3 Get Object Accelerator, it's called. And it does a couple of things, um, and I learned this uh, actually the hard way. So let me quickly summarize what it does. First, it downloads in parallel. Okay, that's kind of the easy thing. Uh, second, it has a custom DNS resolution because you are limited to, um, I think, 2.5 or 5 gigabits. I'm not quite sure if it's 2.5 or 5. I think it's 5 gigabits um, per network flow on EC2. So if you connect to only one, e um, one IP address, and uh, then this will be the same flow, then you can only download with five gigabits, no matter how many parts you're downloading at the same time, and um, if it's all, always the same IP address. So if you resolve the DNS name just once, then you will you will run into this limit. Uh, so I, I kind of re resolve all the IP addresses, and then I kind of round robin through them and things like that. So that's the first thing that the library does. The second thing is it kind of gets rid of the AWS SDK. Turns out AWS for SDK for Node.js is very slow. Uh, so if you really want to download a large file and not, you're, you, you shouldn't use it. it. It really has a lot of overhead. Uh, so we removed that as well. And, and with those two optimizations, uh, we were then uh, able to uh, utilize uh, the EC2 instance much better. Um, it, of course, depends on the EC2 instance that you are using. So they have different network limits. They also have different CPU limits. Uh, so what we learned is that the instance types with high CPU uh, Performance uh, compared to memory, for example, uh, provide us the best um, the best performance. Especially, I think it was called Andreas. Help me out if that's not right. M5 ZN instance, right? So this is a, um, a Intel processor with four point something gigahertz. So yeah. this is the fastest yeah. chip you can get on AWS. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that that provides the best performance for us. 
Um, I'm still not able to fetch with, for example, 50 gigabits. Node.js doesn't seem to support that. So, um, But um, it turns out that there are actually other limits as well. For example, the EBS volume gets a limit as well because we are not using instance store at the moment. But yeah, that's the, that's the story. Um, I will let me quickly send the link to the project in the chat. Or have you already done that? I've already uh, done yeah, that. You have already done that. Okay, right. Uh, thank you for that. Um, so yeah, that's it. So if you ever want to download a large file from S3 um, in Node.js, then check out uh, the, the project. So we are using it in the product, and um, it uh, it is like a core piece of, of of why this is now significantly faster than the. the uh, also then um, the, uh, the SDK. Yeah. So, Michael, I think um, the the really crazy thing that I didn't expect that how how difficult it really is to get <laughs> the best performance out of an EC2 machine and S3. Uh, so I think one other thing that I remember that you ran into was that uh, now you had all those, uh, you fetched uh, a S3 object in multiple parts, um, you had uh, multiple uh, things running in parallel, uh, and then I think you run into it, this other issue that the EBS volume, the GP3 volume, uh, by mm -hmm. default is limited to a certain amount of throughput and you reach that limit. <laughs> so you had to increase yeah. the, the provisioned IOPS for the GP3 volume. So I think there's so many, <laughs> so many things that you need to oversee um, when you really um, go into high performance stuff on, on EC2 and S3. That's really crazy. So I didn't expect that to be yeah. so complicated, to be, to be honest. I think we talked about this a, a couple of times, right? So like performance testing on, on AWS is mm. not easy. So yeah. there are so many limiting factors. You have to kind of have them all in your mental model before you start the test because you have to observe them all. Yeah. If you're not aware of one of those limits, so this will be the one you will run into <laughs> and you have no idea why. <laughs> uh, so that's crazy. yeah, that's really tricky. And uh, of course, um, uh, you have to measure those things and, and, and display them. And I mean, there is most of this data in S3. Um, there is not all of the data in S3, so some of this was only available in the, like, I cannot remember all the details, but there's this network driver, I, I don't remember, is it a, how is it called, enhanced networking or mm, something? Mm -hmm. And this publishes, I mean, you can use the CloudWatch agent to publish some of its metrics to CloudWatch, but it's not by default there. Mm. Uh, so you will see some of the networking limits, or if you hit some of the limits there, but I mean, this is really, it, it's not easy to get, so you have to, you have to invest quite some time to get all these insights into the network stack. Um, so yeah, this this took me, I would say it's actually cup, not one week, it was two or three weeks. Mm, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy. Okay, Michael, so let's, let's move on with another topic. So the next topic is basically about um, the AWS marketplace. So we sell all our products through the AWS marketplace. And the beauty of that is that our customers, they subscribe to our product through the marketplace. And then uh, our software fee, our service fee shows up on their monthly AWS bill. And for us as a small business, um, this allows us doing businesses with, um, with companies and clients all over the world um, in, in many, many different countries with ease because uh, AWS collects all those payments for us and then invoices the customers and then just um, basically sends us um, the um the money so that's really a really um, easy thing for us uh, on the other side um, the AWS marketplace from a technical perspective <laughs> is a quite complicated beast I would say <laughs> so there are a lot of different product options those days so 
it started with just you sell just AMIs in the marketplace. So I think that was the beginning of the marketplace. So you you create you you sold your AMIs through the marketplace, and customers were paying an hourly fee for every hour that the EC2 instance is running your AMI um, were were up and running. Uh, but nowadays there are uh, much more options available and makes everything <laughs> more complex. So uh, with Bucket AV uh, powered by Clem AV, we are using that exact model. So we sell uh, the AMI and our customers pay an hourly fee uh, for the software. So that's it. Uh, but with Bucket AV powered by Sophos, we wanted to do a different um, pricing model. And our intention was to not just bill for the EC2 instance, but to bill for the process data, for the scanned data per gigabyte. So that was uh, the idea. I think because we think uh, consumption-based pricing models are fair for both sides. So if you use it a lot, you, you pay more. If you use it very little, you pay very little. And it also frees us from um, yeah, bundling a running EC2 instance together with our um, with, with the the product and what we can charge for it. So that's really um, a good thing, uh, I think. So we we, we implemented that. Um, in at the first, um, we wanted also to combine that so a, a fee per gigabyte that we are scanning with a monthly fee per AWS account and subscription for our product. So this was our initial idea. Unfortunately, that's not possible, uh, at least not that easy. So we switched to just charging for each process gigabyte. That's what we currently have. And how do you implement that? So how does that work? So when you just sell your AMI and you just charge for the AMI, you don't have to implement anything. Uh, everything is handled by the marketplace. Uh, if you want to do metered billing, like we do now, so in our case, charge per process gigabyte, you need, of course, to send those data to the AWS marketplace API because the marketplace needs to know how much data has been processed. Uh, and that's what um, we have implemented, uh, basically. So now Bucket AV basically collects um, how much data was uh, scanned. And every hour, each instance sends uh, to the uh, Amazon Marketplace uh, API uh, the, the metered uh, amount, so how many gigabytes have been processed. And you can send that from every running instance, and then the Marketplace AWS Marketplace is uh, summing that up uh, for all the instances uh, every hour. So that's uh, how that works. The challenge then <laughs> is, so how do you make sure that in case uh, the EC2 instance is not capable to send those uh, metered billings uh, data to the Marketplace API, how then you need to make sure that your product sometime uh, in the, uh, stops because otherwise uh, customers could just, I don't know, filter the traffic to the Marketplace API or stuff like that and you, they will never pay for your product. So you need to implement uh, that. You need to implement that it's only working if the metering is working, but you don't want to stop everything with the first arrow from the API because you don't want to cu customers be affected because of a um, AWS API um, issue. So yeah, there's a there's a lot of complexity with that, but um, in the end, we, we figured it out, and now it's uh, up and running. And I think the, what I really like about this pricing model, Michael, is that we are now only charging for what the customer really gets benefit out, that is the process data. Uh, so I really like that uh, approach from that perspective. Yeah, that's right. Um, so talking about um, 
the, the cost of the solution, what we also had in place already was a way to run BucketDB on, on spot instances. So this was actually the default or is still the default. And um, because it's based on EC2 instances um, and, and this is a very good uh, use case for spot instances uh, because um, when a scan job fails in the middle because EC2 interrupts the EC2 instance because the spot capacity is not available anymore, we just pick up the job on another worker and we continue with the, with the scan. So it is a perfect fit for the spot model. Um, what was a problem up to uh, a couple of weeks ago um, before we released that was that in the last month or actually year I would say the spot capacity I think was reduced by AWS on I would say on purpose because they kind of try to probably optimize their bottom line a little bit uh, to force people to use on-demand instances if they don't want to be terminated uh, every couple of minutes or hours so what we see quite often is that spot capacity is not available and not just interrupted and not just not available in um, where some EC2 instance types, but really not available over larger um, availability zones and, and instance types uh, combinations. So what we had, uh, what, what our customers were experiencing is that all of a sudden no capacity was available anymore because all the spot capacity was terminated and there was no fallbacks available. Because usually we just pick one from a different um, a set or from a different type and things like that. So what we ended up with is we now have a fallback to on-demand. So if AWS um, interrupts all the spot capacity, uh, we will uh, spin up on-demand uh, instances for our customers. And the I think the the biggest kind of or the 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 biggest surprise is that AWS does not support that out of the box. <coughs> And there are a couple of reasons probably for them why they don't want to do this, but uh, for customers, this is really, uh, I think it's not very, um, I would say, I mean, it's a lot of pain basically to implement this on your own. So what I figured out is a way to have two auto-scaling groups, one that runs the spot instances and one that runs the on-demand capacity. And the on-demand capacity basically is always updated to the difference between what is desired spot and what is running spot. So if desired spot equals running spot, the on-demand capacity should be zero. But if we desire 10 spot instances, but you only have five running, then we will spin up five on-demands. And we can implement this basically with a little bit of CloudWatch alarms and some like magic tricks with metric math. And then we can kind of push that information into the fallback on-demand fallback autoscaling group. And I've written a blog post about that. Um, so um, if you're interested in, in the details, um, you can uh, check that out. Um, I think it's it's a very uh, slick or lean solution. Uh, let me c copy the link into the chat here quickly. Oh, Andreas, you already did that. Uh, all right. I did. Um, and um, yeah, so this is uh, uh, um, um, for everyone that, that uses bot instances, uh, I think a good solution. It's, it's, it's low effort. It's not error prone. There's no Lambda functions or things like that involved. It's just native AWS features wired together. Uh, in a way that 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 makes it work. Um, so yeah, check that out if you are running spot instances. So there's one last thing, Andreas, that we learned. <laughs> so yeah. let's um, uh, walk through that as well. Yeah, so I think this is another thing. So as now um, Bucket EV powered by Sophos is able to scan larger files, so up to five terabyte, as we discussed already. So it's possible that um, yeah such a job runs a few hours. If you need to download five terabytes, even if you optimize everything, this takes a while, right? Um, okay, so what we then found out is, oh, 
now we have the problem that when an EC2 instance gets terminated, um, we need to make sure that everything shuts down, uh, shut down gracefully. Um, so this is uh, the case uh, in case the autoscaling group decides to um, downscale or to, uh, basically the site capacity death gets decreased and the autoscaling group then starts terminating an instance. Um, then we need to make sure that Bucket AV running on the machine has some time to finish the job, uh, do the metering and reporting, and then uh, terminate the instance. And the other thing is, in case of a spot interruption, so if you run a spot instance and this gets interrupted by AWS, we also want to make sure to terminate the machine gracefully. So if possible, finish the running job, um, again, do the metering and reporting and everything. Um, and so um, we, had, we thought about implementing that. And um, we did so um, basically by using uh, two techniques. So one is both the uh, autoscaling um, state of an EC2 instance and the spot interruption state of an instance is available through uh, the instance metadata service. Uh, so you can get the information about uh, what is the intended state uh, that the autoscaling group has for this instance? So this could be either in service or terminated. So by calling that endpoint, you know that the autoscaling group decided to terminate an instance. And then there is the other um, in metadata um, service and the resource that you can access, which says, uh, is this um, instance marked for spot interruption? And then you have basically two minutes to finish your work. So that is the other thing that we do. So what we now do with Bucket AV, we pull those two um, metadata um, um, resources to get information about the autoscaling group status and the spot status of the instance. And whenever we notice that the instance gets terminated, we then start a graceful shutdown, try to finish the running jobs, do not accept new jobs, um, do the metering and so on. Uh, so that is what we implemented. Um, the, other, the other part of the solution that uh, we had to implement is a so-called uh, autoscaling lifecycle hook. So this has been around for, for years. Basically, you can insert an autoscaling lifecycle hook for terminating or uh, launching instances. In our case, we do that when an instance gets terminated. And this means the autoscaling group first sets the instance to this will be terminated. Then you have time and you need to complete the autoscaling lifecycle hook. And only if you do that, then the autoscaling group continues with really terminating the instance. So basically, you can uh, do uh, your work there. So that is what we have uh, in place. And each machine, each instance is responsible for doing that individually. So the code for all of that runs on each machine. So we're polling the uh, instance metadata service for the autoscaling uh, instance state. And based on that, we start a shutdown. And then at the end of the shutdown, we then uh, signal to the autoscaling lifecycle hook. And this has been completed to basically continue and terminate the instance. Um, so this is how, how you implement that. There's one more uh, thing here to, to consider. Um, the autoscaling lifecycle hook has um, a heartbeat timeout. Um, so the instance for for job, if it takes um, some time to to shut down the instance, you need to send a heartbeat. You can configure that. Um, so in our case, I think we we do that every I don't I think six minutes or something. We send a heartbeat from the instance that tells the autoscaling group this instance is still shutting down. <laughs> so do not terminate it from the outside. Wait until we finish our work, and we do that. 
up to 12 hours uh, because that's the, the maximum time uh, a job can run because of some SQS limitation we have. Um, yeah, so that's the, uh, the implementation. And uh, by the way, um, we will shortly after recording this, we will publish a blog post um, where I have some code snippets if you're interested in how to uh, implement this uh, in your own, uh, for your own EC2 instances. Yeah, Andreas, let me add one thing, like just that uh, the listeners get an idea how long it actually takes. Mm -hmm. If you uh, run on an M5 large instance and you try to download a 5 terabyte file, uh, it turns out this will, uh, I think it takes around 13 hours mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> based on the network throughput of that instance. Mm -hmm. And because you have a 10 gigabits uh, boost uh, bucket credit, but if that runs out, uh, you will be um, slowed down to 1.74 gigabits per second. And if you download with that uh, throughput, it will take just yeah, 13 hours until the file is downloaded. So that was uh, one of the problems with the 10 hour, uh, 12 hour uh, timeout that we see also in SQS. Um, so you cannot, um, like when you get a message from SQS, you can always extend the visibility timeout, but it doesn't work longer than 12 hours. So for example, at the, at the current uh, state, M5 large is not able to scan a five terabyte file. You need to go to an uh, extra large and then it works. But uh, it then takes, uh, still it takes like maybe, I don't know, eight hours or something. So. Uh, you you really need the the big machines if you wanna wanna scan five terabytes. Um, yeah. And because this is it's actually not so easy <laughs> to to move that onto onto your machine. Yeah. It it it, it takes some it takes some time. Yeah. So I don't know if if anyone has ever stored five terabyte on F3. <laughs> so it should should be quite hard In to upload that as well. <laughs> In one single file, yeah. But yeah, so if that's the case, BucketDB is ready for that. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so if you have the need for scanning uh, data stored in the three buckets for, for viruses and malware, check out BucketDB. Uh, we hope you enjoyed our story about what we've learned uh, from building and uh, releasing that product. If you have any other questions, feel free to send them in the chat or send them later. We will answer them um, in the next episode as well, if you want to. Um, so, Michael, I think that's it, right? Yes, that's it. Um, Perfect. So, thank you very much for listening. Yeah. And we see us next week, right? Yeah, and that's a big announcement for next week as well. So, next week, we will have the launch party for our book, AWS in Action, the third edition. So, on May the 2nd, um, at 12 p.m., um, European Central uh, Summer Time. We will uh, have a launch party on uh, on YouTube and LinkedIn Live, and then later in the podcast as well. So we will there share our story about uh, writing the book, <laughs> AWS in Action. Give you a little overview. Uh, we will have the printed book in our hands to show you live on <laughs> live on camera. Um, and we're also going to raffle a few copies. So if you want to have the chance to to win a free copy signed from us both of us um, make sure you're not missing the launch party event um, so yeah it, uh, in general to not miss any of our upcoming stuff uh, make sure you subscribe to our newsletter or our podcast or our youtube channel um, that would be great right so that's it andreas uh, thanks for uh, having the time to talk to me today and then we will be back next week yeah bye bye thanks for listening bye We'll